Welcome to Happily Reformed, a podcast where we discuss practical theology for the average Joe from a Reformed perspective. I am your host, Jimmy Snowden. Well, in this episode of the Happily Reformed podcast, we're going to be considering chapter two of the book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness by Joel Behe and Michael Barrett. And in this chapter, they talk about union with Christ and how it is imperative that we have a biblical understanding of our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection in session. We're going to talk about that. But his his death, burial, and resurrection resurrection in session, uh, when we consider uh, holiness and sanctification, that the more we understand about our union with Christ, the more ready and the more equipped we will be to pursue Christ-likeness. So I I believe that this is a a foundational chapter, and uh, so I I really hope it's a blessing to you. I want to remind you as well that I, I have a link for the book in the show notes if you haven't picked the book up, go ahead and pick it up. But, you know, this is a, a podcast you can go back to. Uh, it doesn't matter if you if you haven't read any of the chapters or haven't bought the book yet. Um, you know, we're going to have the link in the show notes for the entirety of the study. Uh, because, you know, the, the episodes, when they go up, uh, they stay up. So uh, even two years from now, you're going to be go- able to go back and uh, listen to these episodes. So if you haven't gotten the book, even if it's 2028, get the book, and then you can listen through the episodes. Um, So anyways, I really hope that this episode is a blessing to you. Sit back and enjoy the show. I'm coming to you from the camper van again, and uh, it's actually very, very nice out. It's, uh, let me see here. 70 degrees it's perfect sunny there there's some clouds in the sky but 70 degrees and it feels just delightful <laughs> it really does um this has just been a really a blessed lord's day church this morning pastor scott creel preached from mark chapter 5 on the uh, jesus healing jairus's daughter and while he was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, if you remember, he healed the woman with the issue of blood. And uh, both of these, I guess it would be women, a daughter, you know, the, the man's daughter, and then um, the woman with the issue of blood. They both had a great need. Um, and I thought it was excellent. Pastor Creel pointed out in the chapter how the woman had heard reports about Jesus and after you know she had exhausted all of her options to get to you know medical options and you know probably some other things to uh, to get her issue of blood under control and every she she everything she tried she could not get uh, relief Um, nothing helped and so she had heard reports about Jesus and she came when he was in the village and thought if I could just touch the hem of his garment and she touched him and she was healed and that really struck me that whole idea of she had heard reports about him actually I want to read it 
just because it was, I think it's it speaks to our role as Christians in in our lives, just giving, uh, not being afraid to tell our testimonies to non-Christians. It said she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. And this is after she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So she, she had this issue of blood for 12 years and, you know, she had tried everything to try to get healing and nothing worked. And then she had heard these reports about Jesus. And of course, who's giving these reports? Well, all these people have been healed and we have been healed spiritually by Christ and we need to be out with our co-workers and our neighbors and our friends and our family members telling them about all that Jesus has done for us and they will hear the reports the report about Jesus and they will just as is in John you know the the brothers they say come and see and then they'll come and see and see that Jesus truly does he is the savior of the world so anyways it was just it's been a delightful day uh, refreshing day kind of needed it uh, been needing a day like this for a while now and uh, today was a, a real blessing I actually took a nap that was it's always nice I love a nap but uh, anyways I I guess I've already talked too long about that uh, we need to um, jump into this book here a radical comprehensive comprehensive call to holiness uh, you remember in chapter one Behe and Barrett talk about uh, positional holiness which is equal to justification and then progressive holiness which is equal to sanctification and I had mentioned that that was the perfect place to start you had to start with if you're going to talk about holiness and living the Christian life you have to talk about what justification is and what sanctification is and what their relation are to each other because the tendency is to put the cart in front of the horse and to pursue a godly life in order to be justified in the sight of God. And that's completely backwards and actually destroys the gospel. And so so that, that was, I, I believe, that that was the right chapter to start with. I think Behe and Barrett were wise in putting that chapter first because everything flows out of our acceptance before God by faith alone and Christ alone, right? So in this second chapter, they, uh, Behe and Barrett talk about our union with Christ, or we could say even mystical union, because they use that word mystical, which we'll talk about. Now, I've actually, this is probably one of the only times where I've recorded a podcast, and I was like, nope, going to delete it. I'm going to have to do that one over. And I, I'm actually, this is my second time making this episode. I, do, I just trashed the first one. And the reason why is because there's so much, this is the longest chapter in the book. Maybe you felt that when you were reading it. I know that I did. I was about <laughs> halfway through and I, I said to myself, how much longer, how many, how much longer do I have before I'm done with the chapter? And I was, I'm only halfway through. And, um, just to, so you don't lose heart. This is the longest chapter in the book. Um, and the reason why I ended up, th oh, oh, by the way, the average, and I actually looked at looked at this, the average cha uh, length of the chapters is like 20, or it's like uh, 13 pages or so. This chapter was over 20, it was like 20 or 21. And um, almost every chapter is right around 13 pages. So uh, don't lose heart, not every chapter is this long. 
nonetheless, I believe it was imperative for them to put as much information in this chapter as they did. Because union with Christ is so essential to an understanding of holiness and understanding how we are to live a righteous life before God, that if you do not invest a lot of time into thinking about union with Christ, you will get off on the wrong foot. Um, This is so vitally important. Um, Now, the reason why I... uh, I trashed the last episode is because this chapter is so long I tried to touch on too many things that they touch on in the chapter and the episode started to become very long and very convoluted and I was like nope I'm not gonna do that and so this is what I'm gonna do I'm just picking uh, a few things that I want to bring out so I'm not gonna be talking about representation you know Christ being a representative what we're going to do is I'm just going to highlight a few a few things and um, that I, I think are very important in regard to uh, everything. I'm looking at this book, going through it, asking, always asking, okay, where is the intersection between the theology and the practice? And, and I want to look at the theology in such a way where that, uh, I guess that crosshairs becomes clear. Where is the intersection? Where is the where the point where theology intersects with practice and informs practice? And, and that's what I'm looking to do. So the things that I emphasize are going to be those sorts of things. Those things that make me say, okay, this is the point where the, the theology intersects with practice. So what I want to talk about with union with Christ, that it, this doctrine of union with Christ is central to the Christian life. Paul, of course, talks about it in great detail in Romans chapter 6 and in Colossians chapter 3. Those are the two primary passages that I want to focus in on. Um, and maybe John 15 just for a minute because I, that's my one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. This is what I, what I want to do first is I want to read just a portion out of uh Romans chapter 6 okay where Paul says in verse 3 do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death listen to verse 4 we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like like his. We know that our old self, listen to this, he's telling us what's true. We know, in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. 
death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now listen to verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to ask a question about verse 11. Paul says, so you must so you also must consider or reckon or count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are to consider yourself dead to sin. You are to consider yourself alive to God. Now here's here's the thing is you don't feel dead to sin, do you? You don't feel alive to God. You don't feel like no 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 here look here's here's the question why are we to reckon ourselves or consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God You know what Paul's answer is because you are you are dead to sin when Jesus died you died with him when Jesus rose from the grave you rose with him. And this is not just some sort of a legal fiction, or, you know, maybe better, this is not just some sort of a religious or moral fiction where you, you know, Paul does not say, pretend like you died with Christ. Just pretend like it. It didn't really happen. You didn't really, you're not really dead to sin and alive to God. Act like it. Pretend like it's true. It's just a, you know, it's kind of like an, uh, a fun little acronym for defeating sin in your life. If you just act like you're dead to sin, but you're really not. No, no, no. These things are real. When Jesus died, you truly did die with him. Now, be he and bear it. No, let, let me go back, because I don't want the question to be lost. The question is, why does Paul tell us to reckon ourselves or consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in, Je in Christ Jesus? Because, and the answer is, because we are dead to sin. We did die with Jesus. We did rise with him. We have been seated with him in the heavenly places. This is not just a fiction. It's not just a uh, play. It's not, it's not just, um, what do you call that? where you pretend we're not just playing pretend you know we're, we're this is not you know to be a good christian you don't have to be a good actor you know we we know we didn't really die with jesus we know we didn't really rise with him we know that we we aren't really seated within the heavenly places but you know we're going to pretend like we are because that'll give us you know some sort of a i don't know some sort of a psychological boost in our battle against sin no the reason why Paul tells us to reckon or to count or consider ourselves, this is a thing that we do with our mind. I am to look at myself and say to myself, I'm dead to sin. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, why do I say that? Because I have truly been crucified with Christ. I am truly dead to sin. I'm alive to God. I've been risen to walk in newness of life. And why do I, why do I say that? Because it's true. Now, the, Beaky and Barrett use the phrase mystical union. 
remember that when you read in the book. And they talk about how this union with Christ is a mystical thing. And the reason they talk about that is because it is mystical. It, it, you know, in what sense exactly are we united with Christ in his death and resurrection and his session to the right hand of power on high? Well, it's beyond our ability to explain it. Behe and Barrett say, theologically mystical refers to spiritual truth that surpasses human comprehension because of the transcendence of its nature and significance. Right. And so he, he says we are to consider this a mystical union. In other words, it's it, this this goes so far above and beyond what we can explain that, that we can't really explain exactly what it means. Exactly exactly how it works. Exactly in what sense have been I, I've been have I died to sin? It, you, you can't really explain it in a way that will satisfy the mind not because it's illogical but because it's transcendent transcendent just means that it's way above your head <laughs> you know that, that there are spiritual realities at work that we cannot you know just like the, the trinity or you know the the hypostatic union of jesus that he was fully god and fully man um but here's the thing. Why are we to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God? Because we are. And, and here's the thing. As you say, Jimmy, but I don't feel like I'm dead to sin. I don't feel like I'm alive to God. I mean, look at my life. I'm a loser. I sin all the time. I battle and I battle. And the battle is not even, you know, once, you know, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back, four steps forward, one step back. It's not like that. For me, the battle is like one step forward, four steps back, <laughs> two steps forward, five steps back. You know, no, no matter how, you know, it seems like I'm taking more steps backward than I am forward. My life is a, you know, is a crapshoot. And, and I feel like, you know, um, I feel like, you know, like I'm not dead to sin. The The principle of sin is still very loud and present within me. And I, you're telling me that I'm dead to sin, that I've been, you know, I don't feel like I've died with Christ. I don't feel like I've been buried with Christ. I don't feel like I've been risen with Christ. I don't feel like I'm seated with, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I don't feel that. I mean, let me pinch myself. Okay, I'm pinching myself. By the way, I'm pinching myself. This is a podcast. You can't see it, but I'm pinching myself right now. Yeah, you know what? I'm flesh and blood. I'm not seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I don't feel like I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Well, here we go again. Do you hear? Did you hear how many times I used the word feel? I don't feel like I'm dead to sin. I don't feel like I'm alive to God in Jesus Christ. I don't feel like I've been raised uh, with him. In, to the, in the heavenly places, seated with him in the heavenly places. Guess what? Your feelings don't get a vote. If God says that you have been crucified with Christ, if God says that you have been raised with Christ, if God says that you have been seated with him in the heavenly places, then you have been. It doesn't matter what you feel about it. Your feelings don't get a vote. 
you are to reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Why? Because that is the reality. Now, this is a mystical union, so it cannot be explained. How does it work? I don't know. Exactly in what sense is this true? I don't know. But what I do know is that it's true. And this is not just some sort of religious fiction, you know, to help ourselves have a psychological advantage in our battle against sin. To say, well, just, you know, pretend. How about this? Try this on. Pretend like you're dead to sin. Maybe that'll help. Just pretend. Play dead, you know. And and it's like, no. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that you have died to sin. You don't feel like you've died to sin, but your feelings on the matter on, on this on this particular issue don't matter. You have died to sin. And now what Paul is saying, now here's the thing. Uh, there's a certain podcast that I've been listening to over the last 6 months, and sometimes it's just wonderful. And sometimes I just want to rip my hair out. It's terrible. And, you know, they talk about Christianity and they talk about, you know, uh, Jesus and the Bible. And they're believers, but they're Arminian. And they have a very rudimentary, man-centered perspective on everything. When they talk about salvation, they talk about, you know, and they talk about sharing the gospel they say things like, yep, I, I shared, I gave him the truth about God's word, and then he made a decision to follow Jesus, and I'm very proud of him. You know, and then and then one of the other guys in the podcast will say, well, you did a good job sharing the gospel with him. I mean, what you said here, that's exactly what needed to be said, and 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 it's all it's all about their their fun. It seems that their fundamental understanding about the gospel is that we just need to get the facts out there and once people get the facts then they'll be able to make a good decision to follow Jesus but you know as a reformed christian i see that as a very watered down understanding of salvation salvation is a supernatural dynamic work of the holy spirit in order to be you know you, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. It's not just give them the right facts and then they'll do a cost-benefit analysis and then make either a good decision or a bad decision. No, the scriptures teach that non-Christians, that unbelievers, are dead in their trespasses and sins. They cannot come to Christ, not because there's something that God is stiff-arming them, they cannot come to Christ because they will not. Their their heart is bent against God. They are in rebellion against God. And they cannot come, not because they're being withheld or pushed away. Not because God is expecting something of them uh, that is unrealistic. He they, they cannot come because they will not come. You, you can command someone... You know, it's again. It goes against their nature as a totally depraved sinner, and so in order for a person to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit has to open the eyes of the blind. Right? Salvation is a supernatural work of God. It's not just give me the facts. I'll do a cost-benefit analysis and then make the right decision. It's God rescued me while I was 
dead in my trespasses and sins. I came to Christ not because I made a good decision. Yes, that the decision is part of it. But I came to Christ because he opened my eyes and gave me a new nature. He took out the heart of stone and put it in a heart of flesh. And he put his spirit within me. And he opened my eyes. He who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a supernatural, dynamic work of God. Now, why do I say this? Why do I go on about this podcast and how it makes me want to rip my hair out? And how salvation is not just a, a human decision where you get you know, enough information, do a cost-benefit analysis, and then make either a good decision or a bad decision. Because the, 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 the reality and the significance of union with Christ is lost on the, an Arminian, on somebody who sees salvation from a man-centered perspective. But when a Reformed person looks at, at union with Christ, they understand that there are dynamic, supernatural realities going on that are so far above our heads that we can't even begin to explain them. But when God tells us that they are true... We believe them to be true, not because we reason our way to the truth, but because he has revealed it this way in his word, right? And so he says, when you believed on Jesus, you, were, you died with him. You were united with him in his death. You, you were united with him in his resurrection. You're united with him in his session, that is, in his, you know, going, uh, being seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. There is a whole supernatural aspect. There are realities, spiritual realities, that we have to embrace even if we don't feel like they're true. And then what Paul tells us to do is to reckon ourselves dead to sin. So we are to believe that these things are true, and then we are to live as if they were true. Why do we live as if they were true? Because they are true. They are true. Now listen to what Paul says. Uh, I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3. I hope this is helpful. This is the intersection of where theology meets practice. The reason why, remember in uh, the introduction I talked about uh, defeat, triumphalism and defeatism? The reason why a lot of people fall into the, into the trap of defeatism, where they think that, the grow, you know, um, that our pursuit of holiness is a lost cause, is because they don't understand the reality of union with Christ. If you've been united with Jesus in his death and resurrection and session, then you're, you're going to believe that you've died to sin and you've been risen to walk in newness of life. And that you are, in some sense, in some mystical sense, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And that's going to help you understand that your fight against sin is not a lost cause. The decisive victory in your life, in your battle against sin, has already been won. You've died to that. It no longer has mastery over you. You've been risen. You have new life within you. You've been risen with Christ. Now listen to Colossians chapter 2. Verse, verse 12. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him 
through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So there he talks about how we as Christians have been buried with Christ in baptism, and then that we were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we were buried with Jesus in baptism. And then he says in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, why, why? notice that Paul, there's a reason why we are to seek the things above. Why are we to seek the things above? Because we've been raised with Christ. That's where you are. You, you are to seek the things above because that's where you are. Not in the future, right now. You're there. You're seated with him. And this is what Behe and Barrett refer to when they talk about you know, you, uh, union with Jesus in his session that we were united with him in his death, in his resurrection, and then his session. We have been raised with Christ, and we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is mystical. In what sense is our life hidden with Christ and God? I can't put my finger on it. I don't know. It's mystical. But the fact is, God tells me it's true. I have been raised with Christ. I have been seated with him. I'm to, and, and because this is true, I am to adjust my life accordingly. Because I've been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places, I'm to seek the things there because that's where I am in reality. But Jimmy, I don't feel like I've been raised with Christ. I don't feel like I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's our problem, isn't it? And this is why we have to be in the word of God. Because our experience seems to tell us something different. And we have to let the word of God have a louder voice than our experience in our lives and in our hearts. We need to live as if this were true. Why? Because we are told by God that it is true. It doesn't feel like it's true. I get it. But nonetheless, God says this is true. If God were to tell you that the, the sky is purple, would you, would you believe it's blue? I wouldn't. I'd say it's purple. And all, all of the people in this world would come along and say, you're denying science and everything else. And I'd say... I don't care what you think of me. I really don't. God says it's purple. It's purple. Well, look with your own eyes. It's clearly blue. I don't care what it looks like from my perspective. I don't care. If God says it's purple, it's purple. And the problem is not with God. The problem is with me and my eyes that don't work properly. That's the problem. Now, the Behe and Barrett, there's this... Now, by the way, if you don't have a commitment to the Word of God like that, where you're going to believe that the sky is purple, even though it clearly it's clearly seen by you as blue, you have a problem. Because you see yourself as the final arbiter of truth and not God. And that is not a good place to be. That's a very proud place to be. Now, they say this. 
Listen to this. This is really good. We're, we're, uh, listen to this, first of all. When they when they say, um, if then you have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3.1, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In regard to the word seek, Beeky and Barrett say seeking includes more than casual or curious investigation. It requires the concentration of effort necessary to obtain the object of the search. In other words, you are to diligently, and he says, uh, we must diligently and continually bring heaven to bear on the issues of life. We are to truly live as if we've been raised with Christ. We are to truly live as if we've been died to sin. We have. We are to truly live, and diligently, and to you know, with with a passion, live as if we've already been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Why? Because you have. It's not a religious or a moral or a legal fiction. These are realities, and they say, um, in regard to. Uh, us being seated with Christ in the heavenly places, um, from Ephesians chapter two and Colossians chapter three, Beaky and Barrett say these are not prophecies; they are declaration. No, notice the key words here. They are they are not prophecies; they are declaration of what God has already done. In fact, I looked through just to make sure that in Colossians chapter three or two verse twelve, the and then Colossians three verses uh, one through four. In Colossians 3.12, when he says, um, we have been buried with him in baptism, uh, and then we were raised with him through faith, those are both in the what we would call the aorist. So it's past tense. You have been buried. You have been raised. These things... You, these things have already happened. You're not to try to, to be buried with him in baptism. This is a declaration. It's something that's already happened. The same thing, if then you have, in, in chapter 3, Colossians 3, 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, it's an aorist. You have been raised. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind to the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. It's an aorist. It's not something that's going to happen. It's not something that you're to pursue it's something that's already done. It's just a declaration of what's happened in the past. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. So all of, it's a declaration of what's already happened. The moment you believed, you were united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. How that is, I don't know. I can't explain it. But it's so true that we are to order our lives around it. We are to do battle against sin as if... Knowing, rather, let me put it this way, we are to do our battle against sin, knowing that the victory has already been won. We have died to sin. It's no longer, it no longer has mastery over us. We have been raised with Christ. We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Therefore, this is to shape the entire way that we look at our lives. and This is to shape the entire, because these things are true. I don't feel like the truth. Yeah, I get it. I know, I know, I know. But you're to believe what God says is true, regardless of how you feel about it. You've died. Believer, listen to this. Just embrace the reality. You've died to sin. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Now listen to what uh, Beaky and Barrett say. Uh, the bottom of page 41. So as I sit here struggling over words, 
I am even now in heaven, in throne union with Jesus Christ. So think about that. Right now, I am presently, even though I'm in the camper van, and I can pinch myself, I'm also seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Are you going to believe God? Are you going to believe, are you going to let your experience be the final arbiter of truth? What is more real? Where Where I am here or where I am there? I would say they're equally true. I'm here on earth and in some mystical way, I am with Christ, but it's not, it's not a fiction. It's real. I am with Christ in the heavenlies. I have died to sin. It no longer has mastery over me. And in my battle against sin, I am to fight. It's a fight of faith. I am to believe that these things are true, that my union with Christ is more than just a psychological help to help me battle against sin. This is a reality. And I am to live by faith out of the reality of my union with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. He says it's confounding as all this may be to reason. What wonder it imports for our faith. The implications of this throne union to the issues of life are extensive. Now listen listen to this. We ought not to live any part of our life here without the consciousness that we are in reality there. In other words, not we're not to live our life here on this earth without reminding ourselves that we are re- in reality in heaven. It's not a fiction, it's real. Theology is so vital. <laughs> this is real. You truly have died. You truly have been raised. We, yes, we are awaiting the resurrection at the end of the age. But in a spiritual, mystical union with Christ, you have been raised. It's already true. Not yet fully, but it already is true. And so we are to live as if it were true. Why? Because it is. It's real. You've died. And oh, if we could only believe these things. If we could only believe it. Think of how far, much further you would be in your pursuit of God. How much further you would be in your battle against sin. If you only believed this truth in regard to your union with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. You would not see your battle against sin, if you did it in faith, you would not see your battle against sin as a battle against nature itself. You would see your battle against sin with hope. Because you have truly died. Sin with Christ. Sin no longer has mastery over you. You truly have been raised. You truly have been raised to walk in newness of life. You truly have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And then you are to seek the things that are above. And live in the reality of what is true about you in your union with Christ. Well, I'm going to stop it there. I could go on to John 15, but that's going to make this a lot longer. I really hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, This is all about living by faith, walking by faith, not by sight.
walking by faith, not by sight. And if we can, as, a, as Christians, embrace these spiritual realities, how much further would we be? There's a lot of room for all of us to grow. In Peter, in First Second Peter, uh, Peter says that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And there is a whole spiritual realm, a spiritual reality, that many Christians never engage because they don't want to do theology, and their Christianity suffers for it. Well, I hope this has been a blessing, and I hope that you read on. I mean, John, what he says about John 15 is great, and. Um, Anyways, I'll catch you on the next one. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Happily Reformed Podcast. Uh, once again, I just want to remind you that, uh, that I have a link for the book in the show notes. Please uh, purchase the book. I have the link. It's, it's through Reformation Heritage Books, and that is the, uh, the book store that Joel Beakey oversees. And uh, so uh, go ahead and pick that book up. And, and I really uh, am enjoying the study through this book. And I hope that you are too. I appreciate you listening in. Please like and share and comment. Um, you know, rate the podcast. If you have any constructive criticism, I'm always open to listening to the good things and the bad things that you have to say. Um, share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Um, you know, s subscribe, follow, like, do all the fun things, you know, that, um, that you do with podcasts and, uh, yeah, I will check you on the next one. Stay happily reformed.